Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your word. God, that it is truth. God, that it lights our path. God, it shows us um, what your desire is, God, what you have um, positioned us in this world for and how you have positioned us in this world. God, the wise of what you are doing that we can know. God, we trust you with what we can't. God, we pray that you will open our eyes to the message of Second John. God, that you will align our hearts with John, that we may hear. God, may we, we may obey. God, that we will walk together, God, for your glory. So be with us now. Uh, Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear. God, may our eyes see. God, may our hearts obey. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So you'll notice on your notes that I did it lesson 42. We came out of 1 John in 41 lessons. And I, I numbered it 42 instead of uh, lesson number 1 because so much of 2nd and 3rd John overlap with 1st John. Most of the content in these two letters continue the thoughts and ideas of 1st John, which, as you know, 1st John carries a lot of the content that the Gospel of John has. And, and that's a, a big um, indicator that we're just going to say that John, the beloved disciple, is the author of 2nd John, as we said, with 1st John and the Gospel of John. And we'll also make that um, assertion for 3rd John as well. So why do we have this book? The primary reason is that God desired for us to have these letters. Okay? That's, we have it in um, the canon of Scripture, in the group of letters and books, writings, poems um, that God has intended us to have um, and second and third John, though small, though um, pointed, uh, directional in purpose, um, we are, they are there for our purposes as well as the original audiences. So let's try to gather a little bit of, of understanding the human side of why they're there. Uh, there's a couple possibilities for uh, second and third John. Um, there's, there's really more than a, there's, there's a lot of thought behind it, but to get bogged down in that is not practical uh, and not wise uh, for classes uh, that try to seek to apply the word right now. Academics, you know, that's what they do. So we're not going to bog down. We're just going to limit ourselves to two of these. The first one is that second and third John, um, you, John writes first John in a letter, and then he gets word back that... There's some things going on that some of the false teachers have woven themselves back in or tried to. Um, they've tried to communicate and tear the church apart more ways. And so he writes a generic uh, letter of 2 John and then a pointed letter, um, a directional letter for 3 John to Gaius particularly and mentioning a specific um, instance of, of heresy that he wants to, John wants to come and address himself which we will get to 3 John when we get there. So John writes 1 John, hears about some of the, the things going on continuing in the, in the churches around Asia, 
And so he pins 2 John and then maybe a little while later, pins 3 John and they're, they're brought um, probably by Demetrius, is him, as he is mentioned in and applauded in 3 John. Uh, so that's the, the first school of thought. The second school of thought is that they all three came together. Okay? That actually you would flip them over and 3 John being the one that is most uh, personal and written to Gaius would have been the first letter that Demetrius handed to Gaius along with these other two letters. And this is a, this is a personal letter. Second uh, John would have been after that, and it's a letter, um, a more broad-scoped letter, which actually acts as a summary. If you'll, once we read through Second John, you'll, you'll really see some, some highlighted points from First John. And then you get First John which would have been the actual bulk of the letter of the thought that John wanted to communicate to the churches there uh, in Asia. So that's the kind of the, the thought that I agree with most, is that they all three came together, but this is something that we don't know, um, and it's, it's okay either way you want to go. If they're written separately, different occasions of letters, or if they're, they're one set of letters um, that are meant to put a point out there to protect this church in Asia, um, either way, is fine. So we've already discussed the author, the audience here, um, as in 1 John is a more than likely a group of churches in Asia. We probably get a lot of um, who they were. If we go to John's fourth, the fifth letter, which would be Revelation, and that group of churches that we get in Revelation 2 and 3, starting with the church of, of Ephesus. Um, and then rotating out of there, the Ephesus would probably have been the primary church in that, that location of Asia. And then you have churches around that area that would have been uh, included in these letters. So the audience uh, is regarded by John as having believed on Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls and the transform and transformation of their lives. And they've been transformed by Jesus Christ, whom John knew personally, right? In 1 John 1, he communicates clearly that I'm an eyewitness. I got to see this. And he reminds them that he was there. And Jesus, when Jesus spoke and Jesus um, healed, what everything he did was done while John was in his presence. And so John is an eyewitness and this is the same Jesus that all the four Gospels speak about. He was a human, just like us in many ways, except for that he was also divine. And 1 John 4, 2 says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But he was also God. And 1 John 5, 20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Jesus was pre-existent with the Father in the beginning. 1 John 1, 1 through 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, 
which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He lived a life worthy of emulation. 1 John 2, 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And he died as a sacrifice to sin. 1 John 2, 2. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4, 10. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He was raised from the dead and is the source of eternal life. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Through salvation, Jesus' people receive the Holy Spirit. 1 John 3, 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And Jesus is now at the father's right hand, mediating for his people. 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But. If we would say when anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What a joy. What a, what a privilege to have an advocate that is mediating for us day in and day out. And at the end of all things, Jesus will bring his followers to eternal life. First John 5, 11 and 20. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Until the end of all things, we are currently in the last days that were inaugurated by the incarnation. Go slightly out of the Johnine corpse into Hebrews quickly. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And at the present time, this world lies in the power of the evil one, Satan, 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are from God. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Satan has a world system, and that system produces a counterfeit gospel that seeks to deceive and distort the truth. Those that promote this counterfeit gospel are operating according to the spirit of Antichrist. 1 John 2, 18 through 25, children, it is the last hour, as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, 
but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. Some of those deceivers have made their way into the church and are trying to create factions amongst the believers in the church. A few faithful believers have stepped up and stood their ground. And as they did, um, the deceivers left. But as they leave, and as they are apart from the church, they go and, and, and plant their own church close to the church and try to draw people away, try to distort the truth, try to, try to evangelize for the messages of the Antichrist. So with that summary of, of 1 John, we step into 2 John. Let's read it together, starting in verse 1 of 2 John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and, te- and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. You see a lot of the overlap in the, in the words of Second John. And they carry a lot of summary statements that are, that are drawn out and explained in the first John. Uh, the first uh, word we get here of the authorship is, he simply writes, the elder. We, we could understand that quite clearly as if, you know, one day we were not able to have school of the word and uh, we received this letter that just said, the old man. Right? You would, you would clearly understand exactly who that is. Well, quite possibly, John was called the elder 
at the time. And um, Peter, thank you for giving us the correct illustration here. Because um, we understand what John's talking about. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a common term between them. They knew who it was. He knew, he knew to write it that way so it would carry the weight of the relationship. And then he writes it to the elect lady. Now, most probably, he is meaning the whole church. Um, that's the majority thought behind it, though it could be a specific woman uh, who hosted a church in her house and her, the people that met in her, child, her house were considered her children, um, could be her real children. But most probably, it's the church that was there and gathered um, and the children there are the parts of that church. We, speak, we see uh, the feminine um, language used to describe the church in Greek. Um, it carries over. Uh, we know that, that even in Hebrew, you have the bride of being uh, used to uh, describe Israel. Um, it's constant with uh, my daughter, my darling. Um, all, these, all these feminine words that communicate. Uh, and you jump over to the New Testament, and Jesus himself calls the church his bride. Um, so more than likely, the uh, uh, elect lady here, just like the elect sister, would have been a sister church that he mentions in verse 13 uh, that greet them as well. Um, so here's, here's the message of the old man to the church for the message for their children. So the main point of Second John is this, that you are to live together in love. We find that in 5, 6, and 7, particularly because living together in love is, A, the place for lives of truth to grow together in love. And then the flip side of that, when we live together in love, it's a protection from the world's deception. So it does both. It is, it is a greenhouse for growth in the spiritual life. And then it is also a shield, a wall, a buttress that protects us. As we walk in the truth, in love, we find that we are protected from deception. Our hearts and our minds are challenged. You could hear as if you're, you're going in and out of your covenant groups. And, and one day someone hears, you know, you speak of this way that, that, oh, here's this new teaching I heard. And they can say, wait a minute, does that line up with the truth? And, and does, that, does that hold to what we understand from the Holy Scriptures, what we've heard John teach us as the eyewitness. Can we compare that back to what we've, what we've known has been taught to us? Can we compare that back in our lives to the Holy Scriptures? And we can walk together and say, oh, wow, you're right. I need, I need to drop that teaching because it's not biblical. Or, or that is a biblical teaching. We, we can uphold that. We can applaud that. And, and these are why lives are meant to be lived together amongst ourselves so that we can walk in the truth in love and be protected from deception. So that's the message of 2 John. So we will do the first point of that, because I'm looking at the clock and I haven't even got to the first point. And I know for sure, I just I told my kids yesterday that uh, I'm not going to get through uh, both points. Um, so we're going to do love and truth. And, and I knew that instinctively kind of on Friday uh, when I turn the notes in. That's why your notes just end without a conclusion. Most 
most of the uh, notes that you receive have some kind of thing because the, the second part is, is not even included in there because I didn't want to offer confusion. So, a place for lives to grow together in love. Let's look back with, at just the first three verses. John says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us, and we will and we and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Hannah, what two words did you hear most often in that? Truth and love. Over and over again. Hannah Rose asked me um, last night, Papa, how do you how do you know what you're going to talk about? I said, first thing we do is, is we read the word and, and we look for repeated words. Um, and we look for important thoughts that the Holy Spirit might want to communicate to the class. So I reread it to her, just those first two verses. She quickly pointed out, truth and love are an emphasis for John in this letter. So let's look at it. John, what is this love that you speak of? When we start the conversation about love, we must begin with God's love. For that is the standard and example for all other loves. God's love is exuberantly given to completely undeserving enemies at great cost to himself. The eternal God became man and chose to give up his life as a ransom so that the loved ones have everlasting life and joy in his presence. And he delights... He is thrilled. He is overjoyed in doing this. One more time. The definition of God's love, as I see it, is that God's love is exuberantly given to completely undeserving enemies at great cost to himself. For the eternal God became man and chose to give up his life as a ransom so that the loved ones have a everlasting life and joy in his presence and he delights he is thrilled he is overjoyed in loving okay i'm going to simplify that definition so that we can examine that love closely in simpler words it's god's love is given to enemies at the greatest cost to himself so that the enemies gain the greatest good because he delights to love them. The Puritans came up with a formula uh, that they would use for measuring love, right? So they would recognize um, a certain person loves roses. Another person loves mountains. Uh, this person loves such and such a woman. This and, and, and so they, would, they, would ha- they had a filter to run that through. And the filter went like this. It's degree... Price, gift, and desire. So we're going we're gonna to examine this definition of God's love through those four elements. The first is degree. Degree to which the person being loved doesn't deserve that love. So who or what is being loved? The first part of the definition says God's love is given to enemies. Right? Don't try to wiggle out of that term. Every one of us needs to find themselves in that word 
enemies. Because when we don't, we fall into a distortion, a distortion that becomes a deception that says we're not really that bad. We didn't really need God to fully die for us. Yeah, he, he could have lived for us and that would be cool. But, you know, I don't have to go all the way. And so that's, that's a modern deception. Jesus is, is a great teacher. It's not the, not the sacrifice for my sins. I'm not that bad. What do I need a sacrifice for my sins for? And so you need to, you need to as well as when you hear that, uh, that phrase amongst you, that, hey, I'm not that bad. Uh, you need to remind people, you need to remind yourself, first of all and most of all, you're an enemy of God. And God chose to love his enemies. As Romans 5, 6 through 8 tells us, For while we were still weak and at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we are enemies with God before he saves us. So we will all stand before God. And, and I got ahead of myself in my notes. So I'm trying to catch up. Um, and as haters of him, we're completely destitute without hope. First John 4, 8 and 16 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. The second measuring stick is the price. The price that the lover is willing to pay. In other words, what was done. God's love is given to enemies at the greatest cost to himself. So that the enemies gain the greatest good. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What was the price that God was willing to pay to redeem his chosen ones? His own son, stepping down out of eternity into time, becoming a babe as we celebrate this Advent season in the incarnation and and he had to learn. He had to um, grow up. And he had to memorize. He had to go to school. Four particular people back there that need to hear that. Um, and, and learn to obey his, his parents. All these things by the power of the Holy Spirit through his whole life. And he did it perfectly. And he did it without sin. Um, and he walked in a manner for his whole life. So much so that the world system and the religious system at that time hated him for it. Because it was, it was a mirror for them to see just how feeble their way of life was. Just how, um, how broken and how self-centered their way of life was. So God sent his own son to die for us. What a great price. The fourth measuring stick is the gift. The greatness of the good done for the person being loved. So God's love is given to enemies 
at the great cost to himself so that the enemies gain the greatest good. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That eternal life is not some ethereal existence floating around on clouds. That eternal life is that we get to be with God forever. And ever. Ever. We get to enjoy God forever. And ever. And I know many of us think and we have a hard time thinking through um, that being a uh, a good thing beyond about 10,000 years. All right, 10,000 years and I'm pretty much going to know. And No, you're not. It's going to take till eternity for the goodness of God to be explored. And so there will always be new facets of his love, of his joy, of his peace, of his works that we'll get to see. One time we may have Moses stand up and just start to tell us um, his account of being on the mount with God um, when he's given the Ten Commandments and just start to see another facet of who God was and, and how we should rejoice in him because of Moses' life. Then you get to stand up and testify to the goodness of God in your life because of how he, he positioned you in such and such a job to talk to such and such a person and gave you the words to say. Or he, he, he engaged your heart to be in prayer for, for the church, for people, um, for whatever situation. And we'll get to see something else of Christ in that testimony. And over and over again, we will get to, to just resound the praise of God as each of us lay our crowns before him. It is a, it is a joy, this eternal life uh, and the great gift that we give from, get, that we get from the love of God is God himself. Um, and that is something that all of us should take time and meditate on. Drink deeply. You know, use, use the thought and start to say, okay, God, how does this increase my knowledge of you? How does this increase my knowledge of your fatherhood? What could I do differently because of this thought? What should I be doing differently because of this thought? And how should I worship differently? What effects on my life should these truths be doing? Really, really chew on these thoughts. Once you've read your Bible, once you start to get, get these nuggets, as lots of people like to call them, begin to, to really shine them up and polish them. Just watch how you never get to the bottom of it. There's always another facet that you can, you can shine and you can think on over and over again and just the joy that it brings to your life. Fourth area is desire. What is the disposition of the lover's heart towards the loved? Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Do you know God that way? Do you understand that as God sees you every day in Christ, right? Because we can all say that that's how he treats Christ. Yes, 
God is exuberantly singing over Christ. He's dancing with Christ. We'll, we'll amen that all day long. But guess what? You yourself are in Christ. Therefore, God exuberantly sings over you. He dances with you in joy as his child. Meditate on that thought. That is a great desire for the loved. And that is God's love for us. That God's love is given to enemies, the great cost to himself, so that those enemies gain the greatest good because he delights in them. The second important concept that John wants to communicate is truth. Over and over again, John says, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. Not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us, we will be, he will be with us, and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father, from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. John, what is this truth that you speak of in five minutes? Here we go. (laughs) Primarily, first of all, it is a God of truth. Psalms 31, 1 through 5 says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me and a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. For your namesake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net that they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord Faithful God. The word there for faithful is true, is honest, is genuine. This is the God of truth. The second is the Son of truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was and is our example, our standard of the truth. He is the one that holds the truth, that the one that the, the truth runs through. If you want to know it's true, you go to Jesus' life and see if it's true. Because he is the example. Third is the spirit of truth. First John 4, 6 and 5, 6. Say, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies. Because the spirit is truth. This spirit that indwells us is the truth. Is is this 
truth that John rejoices in that the church is celebrating? Is the truth that John is saying the churches and the people that are around me love you because we're in the truth? And that should be the testimony of the church is that the reason we're joined together, the reason we love each other, the reason we want to grow our lives together is because of the truth. Because we worship Christ the Savior in truth because of God saving us and the love that God has put upon us. The truth is what binds us together. It is our foundation. It is also the cord that weaves our lives together. We need this truth. The last one is the word of truth. John 17, 7 says, Jesus praying to the Father as we've been studying in the, uh, the service times on Sunday morning, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now you meld that together with John 1, 1 that says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Jesus Christ. Sanctify them in me. Because I am the truth. Was Christ's point. He knew that the real truth was in himself. And our relating and relationship to him. Our connectedness. So the main point of 2 John as we close is that we would live together in love. And being together in love is the place for our lives of truth to grow together in love and a protection, which we'll pick up next week, from the world's deception. Thank you.